The Startup to Scale Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. I'm uh, delighted to welcome uh, Frederick Halley to today's show. Now, Frederick is a London-based operating partner at Next World Capital, a leading venture capital fund from Silicon Valley, focusing on early revenue ventures across the States and Europe. He has a long experience working with uh, technology companies as an operator. For example, he was a COO at uh, NetSize as an advisor and also as a non-executive director. So, uh, Frederick, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, good morning, Gary. Uh, thanks for having me. You're most welcome. So, Frederick, I, I mentioned in the intro that you had this operational background earlier in your career. Then you transitioned into a VC role or a VC career. So I'd love to hear more about that transition, how and why you made that transition from uh, executive roles to being an investor. Uh, that's, that's a very very good question, you know, but and, and as many things in life, part of it is, is chance, part of it is, is building on what you've done. So I spent most of the late 90s, early 2000s, so being, being an operator, VP sales, VP marketing, CEO in tech companies, software and telco in Europe. And the, actually the story is that the founders of Next World Capital uh, were looking for more like a consultant in uh, 2011. And back then I was uh, so in between operational jobs uh, doing consulting for investors and companies in Europe. And so the, the Next World Capital founders, you know, Craig and, and Seb came, you know, met me and said, hey, can you make a proposal to help our companies in Europe, uh, which I did. And um, and so I waited for the answer. And interestingly, a few months later, they, they came back to me and said, hey, you you look like uh, somebody we'd like to have on board uh, full-time as a full partner rather than a, a part-time consultant. And so, um, you know, that the rest is history. But the way I joined Next World, uh, so based, based in Europe, helping our U.S. company expand to Europe and uh, looking for... European companies to to invest in. So um, I think the the stories of uh, having been an operator across Europe, working with a VC backed company, was pretty compelling for the uh, so the people who are now my partners. And as you mentioned, you've got a major focus on helping US companies, US ventures succeed when they uh, when when they enter the European market. What mistakes have you seen? U.S. companies make when they try to enter Europe. So that that's actually a very um, it's a very important topic overall. So just to to give a bit of background, so Next World Capital we focus uh, only on B two B, so mostly enterprise software and enterprise software. The European part of the global market is probably about 30-35%. So if you're a leading US company, you will want to come to Europe and build your presence there at some point before the IPO. So we are the kind of crossroad or the key part of the expansion for US companies. Starting with, so with your question, uh, the mistakes we see, there's difference. Obviously, the Pretty the most common one is hiring the, the wrong person uh, or the wrong team. Uh, that's that's pretty the hardest, 
most common and also most expensive mistakes. Uh, it's usually going to cost you probably about a year by the time you hire the person, realize it's not the right one, uh, have him or her kind of transition out. It's, it's pretty a year. It's going to cost you quite uh, a bit of money too, and you have lost time on the market. So that, that's usually the biggest mistake. Uh, there's no simple solution to that, and I'm sure we'll come back to that, but there's no, there's no simple uh, solution. The other second mistake, which, which can be related to the first one, is what I would call dipping the, the toe in the water, just not getting into the market. So maybe you send some guys from the US, they do some work, they pitch a couple of clients, maybe they sign one, but you're not really in the market. You're kind of playing around, testing. And the issue is that for prospect, customers, partners, you're not committed. So it, people are going to feel like you're playing and maybe you're going to you know, walk back at some point and, and you're going to do your support you know, through you know, via California, which is eight, nine hours away. So the, the way I think about it is that you need to be committed to the market. You need to show commitment. You need to have uh, people on the ground who are here for it, kind of for real. And and I think avoid the, the testing the water. And and I think the testing the water is part of the game. So you you're going to do that, but it can't last months and months. It's uh, it has to be a short, very defined period where uh, both your employees, your partners, and your your customers and prospects feel like you're committed. And even if things don't go as planned, you, you're going to stay around. So, Frederick, tell, so me we, about a, tell me about a committed approach. What does that involve and what sort of people um, do, do they need to hire to have a successful, committed expansion into Europe? I would start with the, the willingness. So there has to be a clear uh, mandate or vision from the, the U.S. management that Europe is a must-do, we're serious, we're committed, we're going to do it. So that starts from the top. In terms of the people, I think you want somebody on the ground, that's, that's pretty obvious. You, know, you can't have executive shuttling from whether it's New York or Boston or where San Francisco, one week a month or whatever. That, that doesn't really work for logistical, practical relationship reasons, that just doesn't work. So you need, you need people on the ground. The second thing related to to that are the speaking about the profile you want is you want some seniority. Our companies are the other companies outside of portfolio we've seen been the most successful hire quite senior people quickly in the process. So I think just a, a smart young guy running around it, it's it might be a good first step, but it's not the real thing. At some point, you want somebody who will be your VP EMEA, who will take ownership of the operations, who will be able to hire across Europe, you know, both in the UK, France, Germany, and build a full team with the sales, the pre-sales engineer, the consultant, the marketing, uh, directly and directly. So the seniority is, is uh, critical. And, and third, the experience in the sense that the Silicon Valley model or US software model is quite specific. We can come back to that too, but 
So having somebody who understands that game, who's been working in software with U.S. software company as the number one, the number one senior employee is very important. And we see that as a key success factor. These businesses are, are difficult. There's a lot of difficulty in scaling up this business. So you can't add more uncertainty than required. So you can't take the risk on somebody we let's call that an exotic profile to simplify, whereas you, you need to fine tune your go-to-market you, and all the other things that, that needs to be done. What about companies so, who say, you know what, we don't really need serious feet on the ground because we've got fabulous relationships with partners like IBM or Oracle, and we'll just rely on those channel partnerships to drive sales in Europe. What are your thoughts on that? I'm a bit skeptical. Uh, the you know the big partners, you know the IBM, Accenture, Capgemini, HP, all these guys are big machines, they big animal to move, and and quite often the the fact that you have a good relationship with them in Silicon Valley or in the US is not necessarily going to crack it in Europe because are different team, different organization. They have different market constraints, environment. So the fact that it's working really well in the US is is usually not going to be enough. So there's a relationship. And let's be honest, a lot of the job is to, you know, make these people kind of work in a aligned way with your organization. And that takes, uh, takes boots on the ground. So even in an indirect driven model, you, you definitely want people on the ground, probably not the same profile, so people who um, understand partnership and alliance and channel. So I would say, because especially at the beginning of when the companies are, let's say, a few millions dollar revenue, it's going to be more a sell with model rather than a sales through. So you shouldn't expect orders to come through your channel directly. But that's not going to happen at the beginning. You will have people selling with your partners. Much later down the road, you, you may be able to get these, these orders directly from, from your partners. But it will take uh, quite a bit of, of momentum to get there. So... You know, channel is obviously very important in Europe to cover the, the full potential of the market, but you will still need people on the ground. Sure. So whether it's a channel or a direct approach or perhaps more likely a combination of the two, you still need a pretty senior, credible VP level hire to, to drive the, uh, the European expansion. That's, uh, that's yeah. some, some clear advice. I would say there's one exception. Which is small is the the very bottom of the SMB market. So if you have a very uh, let's say software for um, organization from I don't know let's say one to ten people, so the very bottom SMB, which today tends to be very automated, very driven by the web and and SEO and SEM. So if you have a very very automated process you pretty can wait quite a while uh, before having people on the ground. But, you know, you, you're talking more about something which is close in a way to a consumer kind of process rather than a, a pure enterprise or even mid-market kind of go-to-market. 
You spend a lot of time in the States, a lot of time in Silicon Valley, as well as in Europe. So, so tell me, Fred, what do you see as the crucial differences between the European and the US startup ecosystems? Well, everybody knows there's, uh, there's a gap and the, the US ecosystem, especially obviously in Silicon Valley, but pretty also in Boston and New York, is significantly more mature and bigger than, than Europe. Uh, let's start with the, the positive and what has been going on in Europe over the last pretty three to five years is the, I believe that the gap is narrowing and there's less difference than, than there used to be. To start with things which are a bit further away from, from this discussion today, Gary. So like if, you, if you look at consumer B2C startups, you could argue the European startup are as good, as competitive as the US one. You know, the, the Spotify, which is in the news a lot right now due to their uh, future listing on the NICE, is you know, the clear leader in digital music today. It's the base gaming company come from Finland and, and Sweden. So in the consumer sector, there's been plenty of things happening in, in Europe. And you could argue that it's as competitive as, as the US. In our own space where we, we you know, the, the two of us kind of evolved the, the software business, there's still a significant gap to start with things which are harder to solve. The, the depth of the financial market is, is there's still a huge gap. You know, AIM is pretty the best thing in Europe, uh, the, the London market, but it is very, very far away from uh, being the NASDAQ uh, of Europe. So the, the financial market has, has still a big gap. The, the VC funding, I think the gap has narrowed. Uh, I don't have the latest number in mind, but the gap has narrowed. It, especially the Paris, London, Berlin, has been a very, uh, very ramping very nicely. You have new venture capital fund. You have more and more funds going. So, uh, especially on the early stage, the it is not that difficult to find money for seed Series A and pretty Series B. I think there's still there's still a difference and a gap on, on pretty safe, obviously the the financial market, but also let's touch financing. It is pretty harder to find the late stage money in Europe than it is in Euro in the US. There's less fund, there's, there's smaller. They don't have the same experience. But I would say if we step away from purely the finance and the money part, uh, I still see a significant gap in the uh, in the talent and the experience and the management. So. Every time I go to Silicon Valley, what I find uh, amazing is the, the founders, the management team, which have been around for you know, 10, 15, 20 years. They work in probably Oracle and Salesforce, and they've, they've done three, four, five major success in startups. So you have this depth of expertise across the whole enterprise software space, which is very difficult to replicate in Europe. And um, one one of my CEO, uh, CEO of one of our portfolio company, was asking me last week, you know, which are the software leader in Europe? And obviously, you have SAP, which is uh, one of the, the biggest in the world. But after you go to companies which are great, but uh, significantly smaller, like Sage in in the UK, Microfocus, Dassault System in France. So, you know, great companies, but much smaller tends to be more more focused on on 
sub-segment of the market. So you don't find that same experience on, on the management team. You tend to have younger funder, and that obviously makes a makes big difference because the, the enterprise software market, it's not based, let's call that on intuition and consumer feeling, you know, the way you sell database to a big bank or a big insurance is usually acquired by experience and having, you know, done that a few times with other companies. Uh, so there's still a big gap. If we zoom out a bit, uh, I think it is much better than, than it was 15 years ago when, when the, the talent pool was very limited in Europe. So it, it has improved a lot, but there's still somewhere to go. What's the solution? Just let things improve over time. There inevitably will be uh, an improvement over the next few years. Or do we start shipping the top American um, executives over to Europe so that uh, so we, we uh, if, if you like, import the expertise from the States? What, what are your views on a solution to this gap? It's uh, an interesting idea. Obviously, uh, you know, there's no, there's no obvious. I think there's no obvious solution. There's no miracle there. Part of it will come with time, and it is, um, you know, a function of having success and having, you know, European startups make it and, and IPO and develop and uh, and grow. So, and there's there's a bunch of new companies coming out of Europe which are uh, expanding in the US. So I think that will come. So I'm I'm not I'm not pessimistic on that. I think the idea of importing US talent, I think we do that once in a while. I think it, it does happen and it tends to work pretty well. So it is it can be a part of the solution. The you know the difficulty, especially when you go, I would say it, it can work typically for uh, UK Ireland and probably Nordics and Benelux where the vast majority of people are, are bilingual uh, and and can operate and function in in English. It's a bit harder when you get to the southern Europe, so the France, Italy, Spain, and the German, German, Austria, Switzerland kind of uh, region, where the local cultural language tends to be critical in terms of building a network and closing deals. So. Bringing external talents, uh, U.S. talent, yes, that's that's a good idea, uh, but it's not gonna it's not gonna solve everything. But you see the the talent where which we like to get for our companies, we like to get it from the big U.S. tech companies. So we're gonna look at the Oracle, Google, Microsoft, you know, IBM, Google, uh, AWS. So as these company grow and hire local uh, European talents. That's going to bring good sort of lifeblood into the talent pool across Europe. So there's, there's many reasons to be positive. Uh, however, I still, I still believe it's going to take some time. Agreed. Okay, switch to um, AI. I know that uh, artificial intelligence AI is a big passion for you, Frederick, and you've got some strong views on the market for AI technology and how to scale an AI startup. So walk us through the Frederick Halley game plan for AI ventures. I love AI. You know, so when I when I was in engineering school back a long time ago, so something like 20 years ago, uh, 25, the AI was actually a, a dead end. If if you remember the, the 90s, 80s, 90s, and, and I read an interview of uh, Sergey Brain saying that, you know, all the neural networks, deep learning thing, the technology did exist, but it didn't work for many reasons. 
lack of, of compute, lack of, of scale, lack of data, and so on of, at, at the right size. So it, it's very interesting to have this world kind of bloom in the last pretty five years. And, and we've seen literally tens of very exciting AI uh, startups uh, coming from Europe. And so the, the way we think about AI at, at Next World Capital is, is pretty, is this different way we think about it. But number one, first, to be very simple, we, we are big believers that AI is changing things. It is already changing many industries, um, many processes. So it is happening. However, we tend to prefer verticalized approach. I don't think there's such thing as a AI to solve everything. We are we believe in AI applied to insurance or to banking or to industrial automation. So we prefer verticalized approach, which allows the team and the company to get better and smarter at getting the right data, understanding the right data, and fine-tuning the algorithm to to make it work. So that that is very important. And the access to proprietary data is probably one of the the, the key thing we're looking at. Uh, how is your company going to be different? Or how can you build a moat? Or can you defend your position against the, the Google, Amazon, Microsoft, uh, and, and have a business? So it's a long discussion, but that, that, these are the, the pointers we, we think when we meet companies. The to Actually, build on what we were discussing before on the the Europe versus US ecosystem. We believe that Europe has uh, has clearly an edge or has a has a very strong card to play on AI. Um, and there's um, the the you know tech is a very it's a people business. You know it's it's actually driven mostly by the people. And Europe has some of the best AI mind. You know whether you go to Cambridge in the UK, whether you go to you know maybe Imperial and UCL, but also you know Polytechnic in France and and Lausanne in Switzerland. Uh, you could probably have five, ten university in Europe which are world class, and you find some of the best uh, researchers uh, in AI and, and data analytics across Europe. The, and honestly, they're as good as, as what you would find in the U.S. The, one of the key differences, especially with Silicon Valley, is pretty the cost. The, the people are much, much cheaper than, than Silicon Valley, where the, the Google and the Facebook are driving uh, the, the prices of, of AI specialists to, you know, honestly, crazy salaries and, and, and packages. And so we believe it's actually probably easier or there's, there's a clear advantage of building especially the R&D, the research part of uh, AI company in Europe. Uh, and we see that, you know, we are, we have very exciting discussion with companies uh, especially in UK and France uh, right now where we, we believe these companies have, have global potential, they're young they're uh, just starting but we can see the the three, four parameters starting to, to align and, and also, very importantly, these people have global ambition. They are starting from Europe, but they want to conquer the world, which, which as investor, is what we love. So um, I think it's a very exciting time, and it's it's great to be a, a U.S. fund like like ours, but with a strong presence in Europe right now. So some really exciting times ahead for uh, ambitious European AI companies. That's uh, that's great to Definitely. hear. Looking forward, what are the priorities for you 
and for the Next World Capital Fund over the next three to four years? Well, you know, our business is uh, its one of the main change when I moved from operation to BC is you move from this quarterly rhythm and drill and, and to a more, let's call that yearly or longer thing. You know, our funds are, you know, seven years structures. So we tend to take a look at the long view. And so, you know, if I, if I think about uh, where we want to be, what we want to achieve in the next three or four years, I would definitely put the uh, AI European startup at the very top of my list. I think we, you know, we are very active on that, but, you know, we'd like to close pretty couple of deals, two or three deals in the next three years with European AI driven company. I think some of these companies have got great potential, the great team. They, and I think they're very, uh, we see people who understand that you can keep your European roots and the European research, but maybe build some operation in the US and so on and, and do that much earlier and faster than in the past. So getting the right deals is clearly very important. We also, as, as part of um, the second thread of, of the thing we're working on, we, are, we want to grow, develop in the coming years, is you know, we focus a lot of our energy for helping our U.S. company in Europe to U.K., France, Germany. Uh, and that's, a, that's an obvious choice because these are the three biggest economies in Europe. So that's a fairly straightforward uh, choice. However, we believe that there's potential in, in places like Italy and Spain and Switzerland and you know, the Nordics and Benelux. So part of the thing we, we're trying to do and we clearly want to improve in the next three to five years is be better at helping our companies reach out faster and better to to a broader part of the market um, so the big three countries are still going to be the number one target because that's where the the fortune 500 accounts are located for for part of it but if you look at just to take you know neverland as a lot of companies like ing unilever shell uh, same for switzerland uh, and, and italy so some of these um, accounts and uh, are very important with great logos and so we we want to reach in a broader way to the European ecosystem of, of people who are interested in innovation and technology. So uh, broader broader reach, and uh, and pretty the same on the on the sourcing, on the finding the right startups. Uh, I think it's likely that our first deals will be UK or France based, but we see more and more companies coming from you know a bit of um, slightly more exotic Eastern European places where these people move pretty quickly to London typically and to the US. And so being able to spot the future leader early is, is very important for us. Great. So um, some super opportunities for, for pan-European success, uh, both for uh, US companies expanding into Europe and for finding those uh, Finding the next uh, Skype or the next Spotify sitting somewhere um, in uh, in continental Europe outside of the main uh, current uh, areas of focus. Awesome. Okay. Well, it sounds like you've got um, some fabulous uh, plans ahead for the portfolio. That's great to hear. Thank you so much for joining me today and sharing uh, so many valuable insights on startups, on AI, and of course on uh, international expansion. Thank you very much, Gary. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. 
head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.